Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Upstate's Breast Health and Breastfeeding Medicine Division has expanded its services with a public phone number dedicated to lactation assistance. I'm talking with the director of the division, Dr. Jane Charlam, along with nurse Michelle Dwyer. Dr. Charlam is an associate professor in internal medicine and obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate, and Nurse Dwyer is a nurse with more than 30 years' experience in maternal child health care. Both are international board-certified lactation consultants. Welcome to The Informed Patient, both of you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Amber. Why is it important to have a phone number that anyone can call to get answers about lactation? Dr. Charlam? You know, I think for a long time, our medical community promoted breastfeeding, but didn't do enough to support our families who wanted to breastfeed. And it's difficult sometimes for families to know where to go for help. Their pediatrician may not be available 24-7 or may not understand some of the aspects of breastfeeding not directly related to the baby. And the obstetrician may not have that specialty training on how breastfeeding works in terms of the babies. So we felt that it would be great to have a one number place that would be easy for families to reach for the breastfeeding support they need. So the number 315-464-MILK or 6455, during what hours is that available for people to call? That's available 24-7. You're not going to get a live person on the other end 24-7, but there is a recording explaining where you can go from help during normal business hours. And if you do need help during the off hours, if it's an emergency and it can't wait, is a number that we give that you can talk to a live person anytime, day or night. And so this is for anyone. They don't have to be a patient of yours or a patient of anywhere at Upstate. Um, do they have to have insurance to call? Not at all. This is for any family. We really encourage families, regardless of where they deliver their child, to call and get support. We take all the insurances that Upstate takes. And that's never even a question on the phone, what types of insurance. If a family needs to be seen in person, then we make it work. How often do people who call end up having an in-person appointment? I think I'm going to let Michelle answer that because she is our best go-to as far as responding to phone calls. Um, as far as a percentage, I would say at least 50%. Many times I can triage on the phone and it's a quick question. It's a quick answer. Maybe I'll be on the phone for 15 minutes and I will literally be just helping them on so she can put the phone down and go back and take care of herself and her family. If it gets to be a little bit longer than 15 minutes, I can kind of feel it out that, you know, to best help you and best serve you, let's make an appointment. Do you feel like you could um, do that and come with a person. So a fair answer would be 50%. I would like it to be 70% because it would be easier to evaluate a problem in person, for sure. 
Well, Dr. Charlam, if I understand correctly, this number existed before, but it was just for physician use to call you because you're one of a few physicians in New York State to be an international board certified lactation consultant. So what sorts of questions would you typically get from your physician colleagues about breastfeeding? Very often, physicians honestly would use that number to call us to say, hey, how can we get our patients to you? And that's when we realized, wow, we really should establish something for the general public. But physicians often have questions. I think most of them revolve around procedures and medications and whether or not they would be safe for their patients to use in a situation in which, you know, mom is breastfeeding and may need a certain antibiotic or a certain type of surgery. And how would that impact breastfeeding? And we're still very happy to answer those questions, either from a family or from a pediatrician or a surgeon and whatnot. I do receive calls fairly frequently from our emergency room or from, you know, various people at Upstate and even other hospitals and very happy to support that. Interestingly, the vast, vast majority of medications are actually very compatible with breastfeeding. And I think there's a lot of concern rightfully out there. We never want to do any harm, but I am very often able to reassure a medical provider or a family that that medication is just fine. And usually the answer is it's just fine or we can find something that is a safe alternative. Well, let's talk about the benefits of breastfeeding for the baby. Nurse Dwyer? Multitude. Um, coming off of the recent pandemic that we had, breastfeeding, it, and we knew this was going to happen. Dr. Charlene and I talked about this early on in the pandemic, that immunity and protection is most likely going to enter into the breast milk. And what better way to bolster up our civilization is to pass along the immunity via the breast milk to the babies that were being born coming into this situation. And that did happen. The antibodies were found in the breast milk. I believe babies, um, they had immunities. I believe that was also found as well. Babies that were nursing at the breast. That would be the first situation, I would say, that you're just passing along all of your good things to your baby. And I tell my mothers that every time your baby gets any drop of your breast milk, it's like you are inoculating them to all of the, the situations they're out in, in the world. And that is a very empowering and very helpful piece of knowledge for a mom because she does put a lot of pressure on herself. Another benefit would be just that you're able to, you, you brought this baby, you've made this baby for nine months and now this baby is born and you're going to bring this baby to the breast and give the most food that has been specifically made for your infant as opposed to if you were going to nurse another infant that was not yours. And it's just a full circle and you're going to nurture that baby and provide nutrition and essentially your baby is going to grow with the milk that she was providing. And it's a very empowering thing for a mom to eat. It just brings the whole paternal child full circle, I believe. So many, many benefits. Those would be my two biggest that you're just bolstering your baby to face the world and everything that is in it. And you're also nurturing that bond with your baby. I think building on that, looking at the results of that type of relationship 
you know, we look at the immune function that Michelle mentioned. It's huge. We know that the baby's immune system is immature when that baby is born. And this helps the physiologic growth and development of the immune system protecting against infection. We know that babies that are breastfed are less likely to get chest infections, ear infections, diarrhea. Over the longer term, when we're talking in terms of months of breastfeeding, we know babies will be having a significantly lower risk of dying of SIDS. Um, and that's something that I think every family is very fearful of. And if they want to do everything possible, that that's a very empowering, good way to reduce risk of SIDS. Certainly, we see reduced risk of leukemia in infants. And getting older, even, there are some um, indications that infants that are breastfed for at least one year, when they are older, less likely to develop obesity, which in our current atmosphere of concern about this epidemic of obesity, to be able to set up one's child to have less likely to have problems with that is a really wonderful thing. Are there benefits for the mom? Oh, 100%. Michelle mentioned, I think the bonding is a big part about it. There's the ease relative to having to wash bottles and sterilization in the early days. From the medical standpoint, though, we're starting to have a growing understanding of benefits to mom that we didn't really acknowledge or understand years ago. We know that women who breastfeed are less likely to develop breast cancer, are less likely to develop ovarian cancer, and even heart disease. That seems to be a growing acknowledgement in the medical community that of course, I think the general medical practitioner at this point understands fully that breastfeeding is good for a baby, but we're now starting to get a better understanding that, wow, this is really important for moms as well. Um, you spend, as Michelle mentioned, nine months growing this human inside of you, and there are many, many changes that go on in a pregnant person's body, including laying down fat stores and changing the way our glucose, our sugars are stored and our metabolism works. And all of that really is nature's way of preparing this adult body to breastfeed. And if we halt that, you know, after delivery, if we say, okay, we're just going to get formula and not go through that lactation stage for that woman who just delivered an infant, that's not the physiologic norm. That's not what her body was set up to do. So there are repercussions to that which we can see that women that have a pregnancy without breastfeeding, for example, those women are more likely to go on to develop diabetes years down the road. So I think as time goes on, we're recognizing this isn't so much about what's best for the baby, but what is best for the family. Do you have an estimate for what percent of women who give birth are choosing to breastfeed now in 2023? The best tracking in the United States is done by the CDC, and their data that came out in 2022 showed us really a nice number of families start out breastfeeding their infants. Over 83% of infants born in the U.S. have been receiving some breast milk. Now, that might be one day in the hospital. It might go on longer. And as we see, although the vast majority of babies start out receiving some breast milk, 
that number, that percentage goes down gradually. By the middle of the first year, only about 55% of babies will be getting any breast milk. And only about one in four babies will be exclusively breastfed at six months. And as many of your listeners know, I'm sure the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC both recommend exclusive breastfeeding for our infants to six months. So we're really meeting our goal, I think, at the beginning. But over time, it wanes down the number of families that are either wanting to or able to continue breastfeeding with the recommended amount at that six-month period. Amber, I'd like to add, not to belabor the pandemic, but I personally on the ground saw many mothers who would not and were not going to choose to breastfeed, choose to breastfeed because of the knowledge that they knew that they were passing along immunity and supporting that immune system in their baby. Also, there was a formula here in a shortage, and I had many mothers. And so I saw an influx, and I think our numbers will be higher just from that. Um, a lot of mothers actually reevaluated how they were going to feed their baby. That was a positive thing. So we ran with that in the breastfeeding medicine program and just capitalized on the fact that these mothers inherently knew, and we just reinforce, yes, you're right. That's the way to feed your baby. It's the safest way. I think Michelle's right. We may see a nice tick up in the percentage also because with the pandemic, many of us were home more and there was the opportunities for virtual work. So I think it made it uh, be a cultural shift in the situation with moms and babies being in close proximity. And a lot of the difficulties we see in families in the long-term breastfeeding, I think, are related to our culture and the separation that moms that are in the workforce uh, face. So the pandemic, one of the silver linings, I think Michelle is right, that, that our cultural shift was to keep moms and babies together longer. Do you know how breastfeeding in the U.S. compares with breastfeeding or formula usage elsewhere in the world? So it's very variable in the world. The U.S. is pretty comparable to most Western countries. It's interesting when you look at other countries, one might expect, oh, the most advanced countries have higher breastfeeding rates. And that typically is not the case because those same countries that we think are so wonderful and advanced and developed, they separate moms and babies. They don't necessarily have great maternity leave. Very fortunately, we do have safe alternatives. We know our families have access to clean water and to regulated formula products. When you look at other countries, that's not the case. Surprisingly, the country with the highest breastfeeding rate would be Croatia. There, they likely don't have alternatives. It's the cultural norm to breastfeed because that absolutely is the safest option. And for many families, the only option. The lowest in the world is actually in Ireland. It's not easy to predict which country. I think a lot of it has to do with availability and resources and education. But some of the countries, I think we in the U.S., sometimes wrongly looking down upon as far as their resources and their education, I think we can learn a lot from them and they know how to breastfeed. Um, so it's really 
variable, I guess is the, is the word I would give you. I will add that personally, I think that in the United States, we overthink breastfeeding. And, and uh, Dr. Charlotte had mentioned, I have had patients who come from other countries and they don't understand why there is not more breastfeeding here. They don't understand how anyone can consider another form of nutrition for their baby. And it's just understood. And it's a really refreshing kind of a mindset. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Jane Charlam, who directs Upstate's Breast Health and Breastfeeding Medicine Division, and Michelle Dwyer, who is a nurse with more than 30 years' experience in maternal child health care. And before we get back to the interview, let me remind listeners that the number to call for lactation support is 315-464-MILK-MILK or 6455. Well, let me ask you a little about the history of breastfeeding. Because before formula was developed, nursing was the only option, right? That was the only option. And that's an excellent, excellent question because I will have mothers here in the uh, lactation support center and they are really anxious. They want this to work. They, they have a lot in their mind. They're just trying to get in the way of the successful breastfeeding relationship with their baby. And I bring them right back to the beginning. Civilization, as we know it, would not survive. We would be extinct by now if breastfeeding did not work. That was the only way. Or else you died. That was it. So when I make it that um, dark for a mom, it's somehow easier for her because she now does have lots of support. It's not a life and death situation. You have support that is available to you, will meet you at where your goals are, because every family is different. But that was an excellent question because the truth, without a mother, a female, being able to nourish her infant, we would be extinct and we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be here. In times in the past, certainly, and I think now too, biologically, we estimate about one in 20, perhaps about 5% of women are not able to, for you know various reasons, physically breastfeed their baby. Just as there are some women that have issues with infertility, there are some women that have issues with developing milk supply. And I think we have ability now to support those families and fix some of the issues that they did not have thousands of years ago. Before modern medicine, feeding was the preferred choice of feeding infants, just as it is today. So in the past, what would have happened is you would get what we call a wet nurse. It, it would be another, um, sometimes related, sometimes unrelated woman who would breastfeed that baby. Um, and this was very common. And, you know, if you look at Europe in the 18th century, and even in America, in the colonial period, very to hire a wet nurse who would potentially live with you, or sometimes they would even send the infants out to live at the home of the wet nurse. And in Europe, there was a huge demand for this service. Um, and it wasn't just because women couldn't breastfeed, they would choose not to. They were thoughts that it wasn't good for her figure, or she was too busy with her social calendar. And so if you could afford it, you could hire a wet nurse. And the government in Europe actually regulated. There were laws mandating that the wet nurses have complete health examination. 
um, and they were set guidelines. This fell out of favor over the next couple hundred years. And at that point, sort of coincided with the development of infant formula. But it wasn't really until early 19th century or late 19th century, actually, that we had commercialized formula here in the U.S. Well, among the moms who breastfeed today, what are some of the most common difficulties and how are they fixed? The mom that I see now, it really comes down to the latch. I think there's a misconception that once the infant is born, you're just going to bring that baby to the breast and it's all going to just all work out. It does many times all work out. And I don't see those mothers, but many times it does not. There's pain. There's a little bit of fear. There's anxiety. There is worrying about your baby's weight. Am I feeding the baby enough? Um, Can I just come in and get like a a number? There's a lot of being wrapped up in the numbers, like the the weight of the baby. Am I making enough milk? Um, So what we do is I always say that the easiest thing that I can do is to show the mother, yes, you do have enough milk as far as the volume, as far as the number. Yes, your baby's weight is absolutely fine. And then we talk about the number. More importantly, what I try to do is to support the doubt. There's a lot of doubt. Am I doing it right? Mothers will hear a conversation regarding their baby and how much milk they're making. And they will take the negative part. They will hear it in a negative fashion. I'm not doing enough. I'm not making enough. My baby doesn't weigh enough. My baby's not as big as this baby over here. So. The majority, again, the details are easy for me to take care of. I can, I can show them that everything is okay. Then I, the more extensive part of the visit will be to offer that emotional support. You can do it. You're doing a fantastic job. And I, I usually will not see a mother just once. It is a process. I'll see them two or three times in a month in the early weeks of their infant to get them through that one to four weeks of age for their baby till they're really getting their sea legs that they feel like, okay, I, I think I can do this. And I will hear from them, which is so heartwarming to me throughout the whole year. They will call me. My baby's going to start eating complimentary food. How do I go about that? My baby wants to wean. My baby's 11 months old. How am I going to do that? So it is a relationship that we form way in the beginning, and it it is one of the highlights of my job. I will say that. Right now, the families having babies, when they themselves were born, breastfeeding was not as common. And so they were not raised seeing breastfeeding among their siblings, among their friends. And so I think what Michelle provides is what would be naturally provided if we lived in a culture in which 98% of babies were breastfed, we would see our siblings, our cousins, our friends, and then we'd have a, you know, a bunch of supportive women who have been there and experienced these problems surrounding our new families and helping them to breastfeed successfully. And we don't have that established in our culture. Very often the connection is just through Facebook to friends. A new mom may live thousands of miles from her family, may not have connections to other families who have successfully breastfed. So the basics of supporting a new young family 
really go back to personal support. And that's what our program strives to provide. And that's what Michelle is so good at. And there are medical issues as well. And so that's what I end up getting involved. But again, those are relatively rare. I'd say 90% of what comes to us on these phone lines is handled very quickly and very easily with some real basic support. Do moms who have twins and triplets, do they automatically have more of a challenge breastfeeding? They do just because of the sheer number. It can be overwhelming. And so I always say, thank goodness, we get nine months or so to realize that we are going to be breastfeeding two babies or three babies. But it's easily managed. The beautiful thing regarding the lactating female, her body will accommodate uh, two, three babies. It can be extremely overwhelming. So that comes back to the support. But the female body is, is a beautiful mechanism that it just will kick in. It, 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 but it will take a lot of time. But it is absolutely doable. And again, I'll say it again, it will take a lot of time. And so that goes to the emotional part to the mother and the family, the family as a whole, because we have a support person who is involved, who is very caring and doesn't want to see their um, wife or, or, or uh, mother of their ch- children getting exhausted. So there's a whole dynamic that does expand when there is more than one baby that you're trying to keep alive. But it can be done. It absolutely can be done. So we do like to offer that support. Well, the theme for this year's World Breastfeeding Week was let's make breastfeeding and work work. So I'd like to talk about the difficulties in 2023 for women in the U.S. who want to breastfeed while working outside of the home. Are there things being done to help make that available as an option for women? It is getting better, Amber, much better. I have been doing this for over 30 years. And 30 years ago, not to be very specific, but I remember pumping in a bathroom with a hand pump and trying to get it done so I could get back to work. And of course, I worked for maternal child and I'm in the department of maternal child and I had to cram it in to pump. And it was very stressful, very, very stressful. But we have come, thankfully, a long way. We here at the Breastfeeding Medicine Program with Dr. Sean Lamb and other lactation support that is out in the community have got together in recent years to advocate that businesses locally, because they legally have to provide a spot for a mother to pump where she's comfortable and there will be privacy. And she, she has a lot of time to do that so that we can support the breastfeeding. So there are many rooms that I know of that have been incorporated into local businesses. We here at Upstate have them in almost every facility, actually every that I can think of now. And, you know, you have to have an electrical outlet. You have to have a think would be nice, basic thing, a chair, privacy. So we have come a long way. We do have a little bit further to go. I know my teachers that are out there that go back to work. I would say they have the most difficult time. School systems try 
to find room, but I think space, there isn't a lot of it from what I'm hearing in general. So they have a, a hard time. I would like for that not to be. And again, in the restaurant, uh, customer service facet of employment, those mothers have to fight very hard to continue to provide breast milk for their baby for a full year. That is what they want to do. We're getting better, but we have a little bit ways to go to answer your question. You know, looking historically, I'm very proud of New York State. We were the first state in the United States to enact any legislation protecting breastfeeding. Back in 1984, they took breastfeeding, made it an exemption from the public indecency offenses. And about a decade later, there was New York civil rights law giving breastfeeding um, mom the right to breastfeed any location she's otherwise able to be, private or public. And more recently, like Michelle alluded to, New York state labor law um, gives all employees in New York the right to express that breast milk in the workplace, regardless of the size or the nature of their business. But there are still challenges, especially in the industries Michelle mentioned. I think the next place we need to go with this is to say, great, we now have the time when the lactating parent is separated from the baby. We're allowing pumping. But I think we need to start having a cultural shift, looking more at longer parental leave, because while it's great to be able to pump, it is not the same. And to expect a new parent six weeks after a delivery of a baby to go back into the workforce and pump and come home and do laundry and do diapers and do battles is an awful lot. At that point, breastfeeding is just beginning to, you're just kind of getting your groove. So my next push, now that we're doing great with a pumping while at work, my next push will be to advocate for parental leave. And I think we in the United States are behind on that, frankly, when you look at the opportunities for being home with one family after the delivery of a baby and the EU and various other countries were way behind. Well, I want to thank both of you for making time for this important discussion. It was great being here. Thank you so much, Amber. My guests have been Dr. Jane Charlam. She's an associate professor in internal medicine and obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate, and nurse Michelle Dwyer, who has more than 30 years' experience in maternal child health care. Both are international board-certified lactation consultants, and the number to call with infant feeding issues is 315-464-MILK or 6455. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine, brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu inform. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the Informed Patient Podcast on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you're listening. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.